I'd have to say probably not an, a, a complex client like Maria's, but um, still quite an interesting client that was referred through um, to our cardiac rehab program. So this was a 60-year-old male um, with a non-ST-elevated myocardial infarction in September 2014. The presentation was left-sided chest pain, 9 out of 10 after lifting tables. Uh, two weeks prior, um, he was uh, managing a lot of angina with up to eight tablets of GTN a day. Now, to most people, um, it'd be quite surprising that this guy was still walking around with eight tablets of GTN on board, but he, he seemed to manage that quite okay. And I'll give you more examples of that um, in a sec. He's had a lot of um, other events. So he's had 17 admissions at Gold Coast University Hospital since um, his initial bypass. He's had a no, uh, three non-STEMIs. He manages his angina at rest, with activity, with sleep. It wakes him up. For 10 years after his five-vessel bypass, three saphenous vein grafts and um, right internal mammary and left internal mammary grafts, he managed quite well uh, medically. Uh, he retired in 99 due to medical reasons and this angina becoming more of a limitation to him. His weight, waist and that side of stuff's there. Um, the other big complication was his diabetes and it wasn't that well controlled. So um, that was something that we had to work on as well. And the medication side of things, he was pretty much optimised medically with um, beta blockers, cholesterol medications, long-acting nitrate, calcium channel blocker, blocker um, ACE inhibitor and, and the raft of, of diabetes meds. So you'll see that he's had quite a lot of investigations in the past. Unfortunately, we didn't have access to a lot of these investigations because they were done at Prince Charles Hospital. And if you're a private exercise physiologist, you probably have less access to these sorts of investigations as well. So his last exercise stress test, which is the gold standard um, for prescribing exercise and establishing ischemic thresholds and anginal thresholds, we didn't have. Uh, thallium scans. We did have records of his previous angios and his disease pretty much tracked the expected disease progression post-cabbage. So you can see there that over the years he lost his saphenous vein grafts and now he's reliant only on his uh, lemur and rema um, and all his three main native arteries are blocked. His September non-STEMI, his troponin was 0.1. And does anyone know what detectable trop troponin for troponin I is? Above 0.04. So he had some myocardial injury. Um, and at that stage, he had another angio that was unchanged. These are some... Pictures, um, not, not of the best quality, but that's just his right internal mammary artery going to his first marginal branch of his RCA, and that's his left internal mammary artery going to his mid-LAD. So um, quite small vessels. This was his pre presenting ECG. Can anyone tell me what that rhythm is? 
not, not sinus rhythm. Left bundle branch block. And what are some of the um, implications of left bundle branch block? You can't see ischemia, and on an exercise stress test, um, it's very difficult to um, look at the ST segment, so you have an access deviation. This was his echo. Now, this was in January, um, so this is his most recent echo. So with all of that cardiac history, he's pretty well come, come through it fairly unscathed with an ejection fraction of 57%. And this was his initial six-minute walk tests. So on presentation, he didn't report any symptoms of angina. His saturation was normal. He had an appropriate heart rate response and blood pressure response. And he rated it as light to moderate. So considerations would be, when would you start structured exercise post his, his non-STEMI? What would your rate of progression be in the exercise prescription that you'd offer? Um, can you just go to the next slide? And knowing that you've got a raft of equipment and availability. So let's look at this client as a client that's coming into your gym and you have treadmills, cross trainers, recumbent bike, all the aerobic equipment you have. Um, Resistance exercises with dumbbells, TheraBand, body weight, no resistance-based exercise um, machines. So what would be the mix of exercise aerobically and resistance that you'd offer this client? He did achieve 420 metres on his initial six-minute walk tests. Is that right? 450 metres on his initial six-minute walk test. So that gives you a lot of gauge to determine what your initial exercise prescription will be aerobically. Uh, with vigorous exercise, so above 60% of heart rate reserve, coronary blood flow can increase by four to six times. So being quite conservative um, would be my, my guidance. I'll leave it up to you. No. No. No angina on the six minutes walk tests. Okay, over to you guys for about eight minutes. Can I get some comments, ideas, questions from the tables, and then we'll hand over to our panel again? Who'd like to kick off? Um, with his six-minute walk test, he did 450 metres without any angina, which is rather surprising. Um, I would like to ask you whether you did the prescription according to that, or were you more cautious because of the history that he's got, given that he, you know, has got very poor arteries? A six-minute walk test is submaximal as it is, so you're prescribing off a submax test. So with that, you're still quite conservative with your exercise prescription anyway. Um, but yeah, most definitely, his full, the full extent of his medical history and his chest pain management history 
was what influenced the first exercise prescription. That was another question. Um, you initially asked when to start um, exercise. So for an end STEMI two weeks after the event, you can start light to moderate exercise. So we definitely start on the light end of the scale. In conjunction with the cardiologist, we'd look at whether he wanted us to use GTN before we started exercise to manage that angina. And uh, we were talking about um, finding the angina threshold and then using that as your guide to prescribing exercise. Yeah, so at this stage we haven't, haven't established an, an anginal threshold um, because he's completed a six-minute walk test angina-free. Um, so what we can do is then set his exercise prescription more conservatively and through the progression in his exercise intensity we might actually find that he hits an, an anginal threshold. And I'll talk about that and show you an example. Any other? Yeah. How influential and engaged is the partner? The partner didn't come to the assessment, um, but the, the partner's very involved in his care and his management and, and that side of things. Is he a candidate for a heart transplant? No. I don't think so. He hasn't even been considered, no. Yeah, so he's quit smoking. He's had... Previously, he, he wouldn't have been because of his high alcohol consumption and he only recently quit smoking. Now, potentially... So the main option and issue that came up at our table was um, basically what his uh, history is and his interests in doing exercise because the main thing to us seemed to be to get him doing something long term was the main need and that's going to be how do we get him to find something that's enjoyable that he can keep up, um, not just short term but long term. I'm going to hand over to the rest of our panel here. I, th I think I'd be following the, the lead that you're directing us down there of being taking a conservative approach and without understanding the nature of it, his, his angina, I, I guess it's you know, rest plus 20 beats per minute if, if heart rates are a reliable uh, marker in this patient. Um, and you mentioned that the, the various facilities that you have access to, I'd probably be inclined to be doing some, some single low, low intensity single limb exercise to, to really control the systemic um, load of exercise but at the same time to be trying to get um, some activity into the, to the limbs. Um, it was pointed out at this table that he sounds like a, a pretty round fellow with, with not a lot of muscle mass yeah. um, based on his, his body mass and BMI and, and, and waist circumference measures. So, um, yeah, focusing on, on, on muscle mass might be a, a, an important goal as well. Yeah. So most definitely he had an aerobic component that was the pre predominant proportion of his program, and then resistance exercise as well. And I'll show you his initial exercise prescription, but has anyone, Marie, have you got some thoughts? Yeah, no, I was just, I was, it seemed from his history, his first time I was at 33, that he's obviously got a genetic component to his disease more than necessarily related to his lifestyle. I didn't really know whether he was completely sedentary at home or not, but, and again, confused about what, you said he had angina at rest, 
but not during the six-minute walk test. So I don't know if the six-minute walk test was done at habitual speed as opposed to maximal speed. So he had unstable angina. Sometimes he'd have it rest. Sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he'd have it with walking. Sometimes right. it would wake him up. It was just that unstable. Right. So it sounds like, yeah, it's unpredictable, but you'd, yeah, you'd certainly want to see what he did in response to various kinds of exercise, whether he got angina or not, and you know, keeping him in a kind of activity that has a lower potential for myocardial oxygen demand. So resistance exercise would be lower than aerobic exercise in terms of myocardial oxygen demand. So, I mean, I would certainly start with that and move to aerobic as he could tolerate it if you, you know, prove that you were keeping him below his ischemic threshold. Yep. All right, we might move to okay. what his initial exercise prescription was. So this client just followed the traditional usual care cardiac rehab model. Now, in our program at Rabina, it is uh, three 10-minute aerobic base stations with one 10-minute um, resistance base station of the following exercises. So achieving 4.450 um, metres with appropriate saturation, heart rate response and blood pressure response at 450 metres means he averaged about 4.5 kilometres an hour. So he set his initial treadmill at 3.8. Um, on the bikes, level two, sitting around that sort of 45 to 60 RPM, and he rotated through those um, resistance exercise, completing two lots of 10, and that was more around how much could be completed within the time frame. So first session there, he had appropriate heart rate responses. You can see that his heart rate was less than 40% of his heart rate capacity, and I'll show you how we work that out and his RPE was fairly appropriate. So for his initial session, he was three and a half weeks post non-STEMI. We set his heart rate limit at 50%. So all clients that enter our service, we, um, we prescribe exercise based on, on heart rate. Um, not just looking at heart rate alone, but initially, we find heart rate monitoring quite beneficial because it instills confidence um, to the client in the regards that they re receive quite in intensive monitoring in the early phase. And then over the duration of our program, we withdraw midway blood pressure assessments. We withdraw the heart rate monitor and get them focusing more on um, symptoms and RPE. So we use the Gellis formula to calculate the maximum and then it's a, it's a little bit of a guesstimate or an estimate, 20 to 30 beats per minute a subtraction from age-predicted maximum heart rate if they're on a beta blocker, amiodarone, um, similar. And we established the heart rate reserve um, based on sampling of the resting heart rate on assessment. So we've, we worked out his values there. So from that initial exercise prescription, uh, this was his second session. So we lifted his treadmill up from 3.8 to 4.2, knowing that he still achieved 450 metres within his six-minute walk test. So he averaged 4.5 kilometres an hour when he walked a six-minute walk test, 0% gradient. He only got a couple of minutes into that treadmill and he had three out of 10 chest pain, took two GTN before we'd realised. And... Um, we, we took him off the treadmill, did an ECG, which indicated very 
very similar ECG to his presenting ECG, so no, no real changes there. And, and an ECG that was difficult to interpret due to his left bundle branch block. And blood pressure and that side of things was, was normal. Uh, with rest, his chest pain um, subsided. He was sent home that day and we sent correspondence to his cardiologist to notify him that his client was receiving ongoing chest pain, which he was well aware of. So session three, the simple thing would, to do would be to go back to the exercise prescription on his first session that he, he went through quite well. However, this time, um, with exactly the same exercise prescription, we encountered uh, chest pain again, other than we just lifted up his arm curls a little bit. He didn't get to that, though. So on, on his uh, third session, uh, I decided to fit him with an RS400 polar heart rate monitor where we could track his heart rate variability over the exercise session. And you can distinctively see two peaks there where he developed chest pain. So the purpose of doing this was to try to establish well, where was his anginal threshold based on heart rate. And you can see there that when he was sort of bordering above 110, um, that's when he encountered chest pain. But the, the rest of the session he, he tolerated quite well. Now, rather than just looking at heart rate as an indicator of his anginal threshold, um, it's best to look at myocardial work demand that's indicated by rate pressure product, heart rate times systolic blood pressure. So uh, we captured his blood pressure on the presentation of his chest pain symptoms and I established that his rate pressure product range um, around 14,000 there, 21,000 is when that, those, those chest pain symptoms presented themselves. We got, we got some correspondence from the cardiologist to advise um, that this client should be particularly taking two GTN prior the session and we also extended his warm-up duration. So this client was quite diligent. He arrived earlier and he did a longer warm-up than, than everyone else. Fourth session, exercise levels hadn't changed. We left them um, all the same. And for the reason that he did this exercise prescription and he got through it uh, quite well, and um, somewhat de-prescribing his exercise comes with some psychological impact as well. So we left his exercise levels the same. This time he developed chest pain on the recumbent bike. Uh, that was at a heart rate of 105 and we established his rate pressure product at about 17,000. So now I'm starting to think that his anginal threshold is probably somewhere between 100 to 110 beats per minute. And rate pressure product somewhere from probably 14,000 up. So mo moving on from this session, uh, we, we dealt with chest pain on and off throughout the full 12 sessions of the exercise program. We slowly withdrew our level of monitoring because it was very important in regards to how we responded to his chest pain symptoms. 
It was hard to distinguish between anxiety-related chest pain and exercise-induced um, chest pain because this client had managed angina for a long period of time. He almost was expecting it and that created anxiety for him that we generated a referral to the psychologist. Um, now, we didn't do that initially. We got him into the program and then we um, forwarded a referral to the psychologist and later in the program, tackling one thing at a time, we then referred him to our diabetes educator to improve his glycemic control. This is an article that, that's quite beneficial. That, that's the one article that I've come across that really stipulates a range for rate pressure product that's suitable in a, in a dynamic cardiac rehab population. This article also shows the safetyness and efficacy of different resistance-based exercises. And that's where our resistance exercise design um, was based upon. Because we run a group-based class, all clients rotate through the same exercises. Unless they can't do them, we make, make changes. So you can see that in the RPE range there of 13,000 to 36,000, it doesn't take much for this client to induce his um, angina. So complications along the way, differentiating between his anxiety-induced uh, angina and his exercise-induced angina. This client used to walk to get the paper every day and would stop with angina at the same bench. And one, one would probably expect that he was already expecting the chest pain that he knew that he would be getting chest pain there. So he worked with a psychologist around controlling his anxiety in, in regards to, to exercise. His long history of unstable angina meant that this client would use eight GTN tablets a day. And uh, throughout the program was using two GTN uh, prior exercise commencement. His motivation to exercise when every single time he was exercising he was running into anginal symptoms was quite difficult for him to overcome. This um, created a lot of irritability, frustration and, and anger towards himself and, and others. So what would we do from here? I've somewhat probably highlighted already um, some of the interventions that we put in place uh, to help this individual. So Grant, can we give them yep. three, three minutes to think about those questions? Yep, so I'll get your comments. So the non-cardiologist, non-exercise physiologists at this table think we've reached a point of palliation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that um, we actually have to um, acknowledge a point where you're not the benefits aren't out, outweighed by the disbenefits and the potential harms here. But I'm interested, I'm not an exercise physiologist in this arena. Um, we also revisited the idea of transplant. Is that an option at this point? So we bailed. <laughs> Give up so easily. Anyone else? 
Um, while this man had uh, a high degree of risk as far as his cardiac condition was, his emotional component was the biggest uh, thing we needed to deal with and help him overcome those anxieties and work within his limitations. If we had have said to him, and we had, he was maximised medically, certainly, but if we had have said there's nothing else we can do and there's no point in you exercise, go home and sit down, he'd be dead now. And he's not. So. There's a comment over here. Would it have been a benefit to have the psychologist in the session? Like I know our psychologists um, work, come down to our sessions if patients are having issues, if there's an anxiety or an exercised risk of angina. Yeah, that's a great idea and often our psychologist does come into the group and maybe spend a bit of time with different clients. However, um, this client on his first session or prior to his first session said, I often get angina, I know how to deal with it and if you make a fuss about it, I'll never come. So we didn't really want to make him feel so uncomfortable that he wouldn't come back but we needed to build a rapport and make sure he felt safe. So we did that in a very quiet, discreet way, still keeping him safe, but uh, I don't think he would have responded well if we got the psychologist in straight away. So we worked very slowly and carefully with him until he was ready to engage. Maria, we might take a last comment and then I'll hand over to Grant for any final sum up. Yeah, I mean, I would just say it seems like he's getting angina with your cardiovascular exercise and not with your resistance training. Uh, there's a lot of benefit to resistance training on its own for cardiac patients, and so why not just focus on that and avoid the activities that have a higher uh, double product and cause him to have angina? Why not focus on the resistance training as a less anxiety and anginal-provoking activity? Yeah, so that's what we did. Um... <laughs> when we moved to his um, home exercise prescription. So this, this client learnt to manage that when he reached his anginal threshold, that wasn't a bad thing. If he had chest pain, that was his indicator to reduce his exercise intensity based on his uh, RPM, based on his level, based on how fast he was walking. He also learnt that by extending a warm-up with his home activities, uh, getting the paper, so not walking as f fast to that initial bench where he'd always stop, but slowing down, he found that he could walk beyond that bench. Um, he got to the point where he was self-prescribing, so we gave this client a lot of self-autonomy. He'd obviously been managing his angina by himself for a long period of time, and he he flourished when we sort of gave him that self-autonomy with his exercise prescription, gave him a blank card and say, we want you to fill in what, what exercise you feel you can tolerate, and every day completely varied. Um, we didn't, within the format of the exercise program, just get him to do resistance exercise. We kept him within the usual care sort of model, so he was with the usual care of all other cardiac rehab clients and didn't single him out in any way. But you can see that his exercise prescription did, did change and his ability um, to, to manage his exercise did improve. 
He was discharged with a home exercise program where I went out and supervised his initial first session just to reduce any, any, any anxiety that he might have in that first session. And he got through that full session with, with, with nil symptoms. Um, and he's doing that now. So um, here's a, yeah, a good outcome. Okay. Yeah. Thanks very much, Grant. And thanks to all our three case presenters and your participation. We now have lunch over here and we'll start again. <laughs>